I mentioned to you Welcome that past year, I've mentioned that I was in Silicon Valley about a month ago, and I've brought that up a few times because it's so exciting because now this church is out doing this stuff all the time. What she does now, by the way, before she preaches every Sunday, she says, who has a testimony from this week out there? And they're getting more and more and more. She's had two entire moments out in the park. May I pray for you? May I pray for you? So she's very excited. She just, just that she texted us during lunch that she's going to come to Bulgaria with us. Oh, I forgot. Why don't we do that? I'm just so glad you said that. I've got like this 40-second click that um, if you watch this video, there's a subliminal message that says, go to Bulgaria, go to Bulgaria. No, I made that part up. Can we play it? Hey friends from all over the world, I'm Steven with my wife Ronnie and we're here in the beautiful uh, village of Rakowski in the Roma neighborhood and we're together in a house church here, the people are so open, so many kids are open to the Lord and tonight we'll have water baptism for many people for the first time and we want to invite you to come in September to join us to minister to these precious people together, to pray for them, to preach the gospel, to see so many healings and miracles, to care for the poor, to give food and other things, and to celebrate together in the villages, and to see the gospel come through for people who are desperately needed for love, God's love. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. That wasn't even the one I thought, but that'll do. That is Bulgaria, and that's Stevie. I want to talk to you about compassion, um, because uh, I, I think I might have said, I've been saying a lot the last two weeks, but I think I might have said last night that, that um, power and authority flow through the kingdom, but its foundation is compassion. So I want to, I want to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, I've got so many stories of the compassion of God uh, that I hardly know where to start, but I, I wanted to tell you a couple that just some of them that just touch my heart deeply. Um, I love one time we took a team to, to Haiti, and in the, on the Sunday is the only time we go into churches. We divide the team up, and all of you guys do the preaching and teaching the hair, the hair model, the prayer model. <laughs> hair model. Um, and anyway, the, these two gals, yeah, we, he doesn't do that one. Uh, the, these two gals were in a church... And they prayed for a grandmother who was blind. And the Lord opened her eyes. And the first thing she saw for the first time in her life was her two-year-old grandson. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. Okay, calm down. You're too excited. Um, I love that, that there's... Uh, here's one I just think's a gas. I just, it's just great. We were out in this rural area... We were praying for people, and God was healing, and suddenly this little guy who'd been swimming in a canal gets out. He was about seven years old, and he comes running right into the midst of us to get prayer just to see all this, and then somebody must have said something because he noticed that he didn't have anything on, and he went, aha, and he takes off, <laughs> and about a minute later, he comes back with shorts on, and we prayed for him, and he was deaf. He was, he was a little guy named Henry, and he was deaf. Um, and we prayed, uh, somebody prayed on the team, and he wasn't healed. So we're walking back to the bus, and uh, 
this team member said, oh, I don't understand it. That's just so discouraging. We've seen so many people healed. Why couldn't that little boy get healed? And I just, it was a teachable moment, and I'm talking, and it, we live between the already and the not yet, and, and God is always good, but we're dealing with spiritual warfare, etc., etc., etc. Get back to the bus. We're waiting for people to come from all over the village. And while we're waiting, a bunch of kids show up at our bus, including little Henry. One of the other team members says to her, says, hey, let's go out and try again. Oh, I don't know. Come on, let's try again. They went out and prayed for him, and his ears opened. And the cool thing was, well, that's pretty cool that his ears opened. But the, the bus driver had the radio on with some music going, and, he, and his ears open, and he hears music for the first time. Can you imagine? And he just starts grooving. He is just grooving with the music. Isn't that wonderful? You see, that's rescue. He's not going to grow up to be the deaf guy in town. It's rescue. It's the compassion of God. I believe so much in, in the compassion of God. What I would say to you is, I have come to be convinced that the whole movement of the cosmos, the whole cosmos, the movement of it, is in the direction of compassion, forgiveness, love. When we're walking in that way, we're walking in the whole rhythm of the cosmos. By the way, almost every time in your Bible where it says world, they've reduced it. The real word is cosmos, K-O-S-M-O-S. -O -O it means cosmos. That's why they call it cosmos. So that's just a little aside. Are you guys awake? Okay. Um, Yes. Isn't it amazing? Because he holds all of creation together. I've been, I've been teaching a series on the mystery of Christ. And, and do you ever think about this? Uh, he holds all of creation. You know that. He created everything and he holds it all together all the time. And last night I said the incarnation uh, is, is about, you know, hypostasis is about the coming together. He's fully God. He's fully man at once. So did you ever think about this? While he's feeding the 5,000, while he's cleansing the leper, at the same moment, he is holding all of the cosmos together at the very same moment. And the cosmos is always growing. It's always increasing. You, you know that, don't you? The universe is bigger now than when we started talking 10 minutes ago. And of course it is. How could a finite cosmos contain this infinite Christ? This is who he is. Who is this king of glory? It's amazing, isn't it? And we worry if he's going to show up and we pray for somebody in the park. So the whole movement is about compassion. And I want to try to, try to bring that home a little bit today. Lord Jesus, help me. It's, uh, it's Saturday afternoon, and uh, we're really tired from handing out all that fruit. <laughs> Lord, just awaken us now, please, please. Thank you, Lord. I want to talk about compassion. I want to talk about, about the incredible grace of compassion. He was filled with compassion again and again and again in the scriptures. He was filled with compassion. The word compassion in the Greek is splanknozomai. 
And it means to physically feel the pain of another one. It doesn't mean to feel sorry, to pity. It means to feel, to so identify your life with their life that you feel their pain. That is the word for it. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Matthew 9 36, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had splanknozomai. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved in his gut when he saw the people. Harassed and helpless, by the way, harassed is a term that really means molested, and helpless was a wrestling term which means pinned to the ground. Isn't that interesting? That's how Jesus sees our real state. His deepest motivation was compassion. He ran into the darkness because he had the solution. I told you that this morning. But what motivated him to run was this splanknozomai, this gut-wrenching compassion. And if anything comes out of this, may we turn to him in a whole new way and ask for his compassion. His compassion. And it does not come without cost. It does not come without pain. But it moves me. I'm following him. We talked a lot last night and a little this morning about following Jesus. I'm following the compassionate one. <sighs> he was moved with compassion for the isolation, the discouragement of the leper. We talked about that. He was moved with compassion for the hungry. Notice that? feeding the 4,000 and the 5,000 says, I'm moved with splanknozomai for them. I feel compassion for these harassed and helpless, these pinned down ones. That's why in the, in the Lord's Prayer, if you look on our website, we've got several e-books I've written, and one of them is on the Lord's Prayer. I don't remember what we call it. I don't remember what it's called, but if it says something about prayer, it'll be that. And, and one of the points I make is, first of all, in the Lord's Prayer, did anybody notice there's three words that never appear? I, me, or my. They're not there. It's you and it's us. And that's why, because of his compassion, that's why I believe give us this day our daily bread is a profound, prophetic, unlocking prayer that I used to think really meant, Lord, help me make my car payment. But it's give us this day our daily bread. If Jesus cared about the 5,000 who were hungry, do you think he cares about the 2.3 billion malnourished people? He has compassion. Compassion is so much more than a, than a, a feeling of, of pity or something. I'm always aware of the time, but... Jesus identifies. Incarnation is huge. Um, that's another thing I just wrote recently on the mystery of Christ. The incarnation is about an absolutely core identification with the broken and the poor, identification with the full range of the human experience. This is why I insist when I take people and I'm looking at some I've taken. If we go to a garbage dump, if we go to a slum, I say, by the way, we are not taking Jesus to the poor. He's already there. He's waiting for us. I believe it with all my heart. So what does compassion look like? 
Let's look briefly at one of my favorite verses, Luke 15, 20, the, uh, the uh, prodigal son. And while that son was yet a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran to him, and embraced him, and kissed him. So what can I learn from that one little verse? While he was still a long way off, he felt compassion. Compassion sees a long way off. Compassion sees beyond itself. Compassion, when I used to be a, a young pastor, I used to, before the days of phones and all that stuff, iPads, I used to keep a pad of paper and a pen in my car, and I would say, Lord, show me what you see as I drove around my town. I had a town of about 100,000. I drove around, and I would see. Compassion sees beyond itself. Compassion sees a long way off. Right now, we're able to do things. I think we've told you, I think, here of some of the stuff we're able to do right now. We're able, you know, whether it's getting coats and boots to kids in the snow, whether it's getting people out of brick factories, whether it's getting people out of, whatever it is, compassion sees a long way off. I think the two most famous stories Jesus told were the prodigal, which we're touching on one verse, and the good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is a, a story filled with irony. You remember the guys left beaten and bleeding on the side of the road. Everybody with me? And, and the first religious guy walks by, and then a worship leader walks by, and then it's the Good Samaritan. For us, I don't know what we would say. We could say the, the, good, the good Muslim, the good, take your pick, somebody that doesn't fit our Christian world. That's why Jesus said Samaritan. But here's part of the irony. I think his audience would have almost chuckled when he said they walked by because the Samaritan, uh, the Jericho Road is only eight feet wide. That's two and a bit meters wide. And they walked by. It's filled with irony. But here's what I want to tell you. Compassion sees a long way off. The Jericho Road is now a global highway. And I don't think, and I'm not talking about justice today, get me going on that one, but I don't think it's right for us to take the benefits of globalization, where in real dollars we're living cheaper than we ever did, whether it feels like it or not. We, should, we cannot take the benefits without the responsibilities. Without the responsibilities. So it just got really quiet. Compassion does see a long way off. I think it sees into the it sees into the slums that Christina talked about. It sees into the beggars' colonies where we go. It sees into the, the barrios where we've worked, where mothers have to prostitute themselves, where they're attacked at night, their children are attacked at night. Compassion sees a long way off. By the way, when we've seen some of that, we've done a simple thing is we've paid to get electricity into the barrio to get lights and the very fact there's lights at night stops the uh, assaults. Compassion isn't a feeling. It sees a long way off. It streets to the starving street beggars. We feed street beggars who are born, live, and die on the sidewalk. Did you know that? Their whole lives, not one night in their life are they under a roof. And their life expectancy is typically about 30 years. Compassion sees those. And on and on. Compassion, secondly, sees the invisible. This is key to me. You see, that son was coming into town and nobody else noticed. 
Compassion sees the invisible. Compassion sees the elderly woman on your block who's shut in or semi-shut in. Compassion sees the, the child at your kid's school that nobody wants to play with or talk to. Compassion sees the woman on your street who gets worried every Friday night because her husband's going to drink too much and he's going to take out his frustrations on her. Compassion sees the invisible. I recently heard a story, and I won't go into all the details, but somebody who was in, in terrible, terrible situation. And there was believers just across the road and could hear all the upset and hear all the stuff. And they never went over to help. They just said, oh God, please help them. What does that mean? You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Compassion sees the invisible. Thirdly, still on this verse, compassion is a bridge to those isolated and harassed and pinned down. Compassion carries power to change lives. We had a woman, her name's Joe T. We've had many, but I'm going to tell you about this one. We've, we do these schools where we teach people sewing skills and so forth and get them out of desperate situations. We're up over 450 women now. And, and one of them, they found her. She was suicidal. She was lying in a ditch. What had happened was she was a young widow. Uh, India has 30 million widows. And the reason there's so many of them is because it's basically a... a a financial transaction. Dad essentially sells them to an old man. And then the day he dies, she's now a widow. And in their culture, a widow is bad luck. So they're kicked out of the house. They're kicked out of the village. And they die or they beg or they prostitute. This woman chose death. She's lying in the ditch. Our friends found her. She was illiterate. She was hopeless. They brought her in. They loved her. She met Christ through their kindness. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Remember I gave you that last night, Romans 2, 4? And as they did, then they taught her, they, we brought her into our sewing school. And she learned, they had to teach her how to read and write the numbers 1 to 10. But then she did the sewing school and she was really good at it. So then they had her come the second time and be an assistant teacher. And she was really good at it, six months each time. And then she was a teacher, and then she came to them and said, would you let me start my own school? Of course. So she went up the road about 25 kilometers, started her own school. It flourished. She started her own sewing business. She went into Hyderabad, a city of about 8 million, and went to the, the garment companies and said, we can make your garments for you. And she has a business and her clothes go all over. And she started in a ditch. Wow. <laughs> Folks, what unlocks potential is opportunity. Not saying, oh God, please send somebody. Please, somebody do something. Right? <laughs> On a more humorous note, I get a kick out of this. I go to a lot of pre-service prayers around the world, right? And usually 15 minutes before the service, I hope I'm not stepping on any toes here, but 15 minutes before the service in the prayer, somebody will pray, Lord, bring in the lost this morning. 
We call them in from the north and the south. Have you been to that prayer meeting? I've been to it many, many times. Bring in, and I always hear the Lord saying, that's your job. You get it? We got to be real, folks. We got to be real. We got to believe we're empowered. If you pray, if you intercede, and then you don't step into the answer to your intercession, I don't think you've got much faith in the power of your prayer anyway. How's that? Boy, I'm a lot nicer before lunch. So compassion. Fourthly, compassion, he ran to him. Compassion compels action. Pity doesn't. But the father ran to his son. There's an immediacy to the gospel that calls for action. I believe with all my heart that action is where life happens. We put the gospel into practice. You put the gospel into practice till you ran out of fruit. And I know there's more back there for you. But it is active. Compassion is not a feeling. It's following Jesus in the rhythm. You guys with me? First time I went into the beggar's colony outside of Chandigarh, and our doctors and nurses said, these kids are so sick from eating dirt. I said, say what? They said, they're so hungry, they just eat the dirt, and it's making them very sick. Pity says, oh, that's too bad. Compassion says, we got to do something. We've got to train their mothers in, in marketable skills. We've got to get feeding. Our partners get feeding programs in there. Do you see the difference between pity and compassion? It compels action. Compassion embraces, connects, and includes. Gospel is always inclusive. It always says you come too. Remember Psalm 68, he puts the lonely in families. We reach out to immigrants. We've got huge political issues right now around immigrants and refugees. Huge. Did you know that your Bible 89 times tells you, you better take care of the immigrants? My translation says the resident alien, because you too were aliens. Peter goes further. In, in the first letter Peter wrote, he says, you are aliens in this world. Just got quiet again. I'll keep moving. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. We get to be cultural Christians or we get to be followers of Jesus. Now, somebody just said, he just went past preaching and now he's meddling. Compassion changes the atmosphere. It really does. We watch it all the time. It changes the atmosphere. I go into a... a we call it a trailer park. I think you call it a caravan park. I go into really poor, and they're just, it's crummy, and it's awful, and there's barbed wire and guard dogs and drugs and a whole deal, and the atmosphere changes. If I just spend an hour there talking with people, praying with people, being kind, it's the kindness of God that leads to what? Repentance. Repentance doesn't mean crying at the altar, by the way. The word is metanoia. It means a change of thinking your worldview begins to change. Compassion changes the situation. But compassion can't fix everything. See, this is the temptation of activism. You know, we're just going to, we can fix it all. No, we can't. Cannot, but it can and must connect with, come a, alongside of, align itself with the broken and the weak 
and the poor. It's just got to. Uh, you know, I've got so many stories and so many memories from all over the world. I honestly, I've, I've just, I've seen the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame get up and walk. I've seen twisted bodies straighten. But one of the things that sticks in me most of all was coming, just going through a village in the Philippines in a bamboo hut. And a young mother whose husband had just been sentenced to six years in prison in the Philippines. I've been in several Filipino churches, uh, jails. And they're very dangerous. And there's no social net. There, there, there will be no welfare check coming to her. And her two little kids. And as she shared it with me, she started to cry. I couldn't fix it. All I could do was just hold on to her, and we both cried. Compassion cannot fix everything. It can do more than we think, though. Tell you a little story about Jesus and compassion. It's one of my favorite stories. There's something, if you, if you get that new book, I do a, a section on relational Bible studies. It's a whole other way to do it, and it invites everybody in. People who have never read the Bible do not feel disadvantaged. You can read all about it in there. But one of my favorite ones is to do the story from the beginning of John 8, the woman caught in adultery. And you know the scene, the woman is caught, they drag her in. Don't you always want to know where the heck the guy is? Last time I checked, it takes two to tango, but there you go. And, and she's filled with fear, and she's filled with shame. And the, the, the powers that be, the spiritual powers of darkness that are behind the, the religion, the spirit of religion, behind the Pharisees, that, those powers influence the crowd. And suddenly the crowd is, is an angry, accusing mob. Watch out for the crowd in the Gospels. Watch out carefully and see what the crowd does. And, and she's thrown down on the ground. Can you picture that? In her shame, in her probably still semi-nakedness, and she's terrified because the, the law says throw stones. She's, it's terrible, and everybody's around watching her, and she's on the ground. And what does Jesus do? What's he do? Writes on the ground. And there's been way too many messages on what he wrote. Nobody knows what the heck he wrote. To me, that's not the point. This is the point. You've got an angry mob standing there. Ah, immoral woman. It's really easy for us to point at other people's sin, right? And she's on the ground. What does Jesus do? I don't care what he wrote. He comes down and stoops in the ground to come down and be with her. He comes down to her level. You get it? It takes courage to walk with those who suffer. Compassion separated him from the crowd. I promise you, compassion will separate you from the crowd. It will ultimately lead you outside the city walls. I don't have time to talk about that today, but I could give you some very clear examples. If you are going to really follow him where he goes, you're going to be outside the walls sometimes. You're going to be where you're not understood by believers. See, Jesus is always on the side of those who suffer. Always. He emptied himself. Kenosis is the word. 
He is always on the side of those who suffer. You think hard and you'll figure out some very real applications in Australia. And I have got them for America. He is always on the side of those who suffer. And without identification with the suffering, with brokenness, the best we can do is feel pity. And we're still standing in the circle looking down on the woman. But Jesus saw who she really was because he was down with her. His whole life was an identification, by the way, with the poor and the broken. He didn't just say nice things about them. He identified with them. He was... He's the son of God. He's the second person of the triune God. And he comes and he could have been incarnate in any family. He could have been in Caesar's family for crying out loud or an or a influential merchant or something. And he was born into the doulos class. That's Luke 1, I think it's 47 or 48. 48, I think. The doulos class. The doulos class is the low servant class. It's the women that we hardly notice who clean up the hotel room after us. That's what he was born into, intentionally. He was born, we know, he, did, he, he, was, he was born into a feeding trough. Um, the one that gets me, I was reading it just the other day in Luke, it always gets me. You know, the dedication in, uh, in Luke 2. And, and uh, they come and it says specifically, depending on your translation, he was dedicated with two turtle doves or two pigeons. Well, what that comes from is in Leviticus, when you are dedicating your firstborn, it goes on and on about this perfect lamb, this spotless lamb, and then there's a little coda, but if you're too poor, you can do it with two turtle doves or pigeons. And that's how he was dedicated. Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you anywhere. He says, really? I'm homeless. Hello? How about the fact of this? I'll never forget. I was, I was preaching at a church in Uganda, and just before I got up to preach, they, had, they prayed for um, a whole group. I think it was 19 refugees that had walked 70 kilometers from uh, the Congo because people are dying there. And they prayed for them and everything. And I got up to preach, and all I said to them is, you know, Jesus identifies so deeply with you because you're refugees running for your lives from a dangerous system in a dangerous country. So was Jesus. He was a political refugee in Egypt. Do you see how the incarnation goes deeper and deeper and deeper? <laughs> when he died, he was placed in a borrowed tomb. How many of you, if you died, would like it if... If your family said, well, we don't really have the money for a grave, but we can borrow one for a few weeks. His whole life identified. Injustice. He was tried with a, in violation of the very law that tried him. He was, he was arrested at night. He was tried at night. Illegal. No witnesses. Illegal. Injustice. And he never fought back. He never fought back. Do you see his identification? Always with the suffering and the broken and the weak. Always. So this is the one 
who says, follow me. I'm not going where you're used to seeing people go. I'm not going to the places of influence and power. Follow me. I'm going to the low places. The low places. We've taught our boys this as they grew up. Our boys are men now with their own kids, but we used to just say, stay low. Stay low. Because I'm following the one who goes to the low places. And was there ever a life that changed anything, anything, anything like Jesus? Compassion is why we're called to lay down our nets and follow him. Compassion is the way we will walk with him. Roman, or Philippians 3.10, we used to say this a lot in the 70s in the Jesus people movement. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. And we stopped there because the rest of the verse says, and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. <laughs> to follow the suffering Jesus, to share in his suffering means to weep for the hungry. And I unabashedly tell you that I do. It means to pray for the hungry. When I pray the Lord's Prayer, I always, I can't help it. It's, there's, no, there's nothing meritorious about it. It's that he's captured my heart and broken my heart for the things that break his heart. Oh God, please give us this day our daily bread. Lord, Lord, I got those kids. I got those kids. Please, Jesus, provide the food that is needed today. Lord, those orphans in Chandigarh, they need to be fed properly, and on and on and on. Do you understand? Because compassion sees a long way off. Because compassion sees the invisible, the ones that others don't see. Compassion changes the way we pray and what we pray for. Compassion is central to God's heart. I was reading this yesterday. The, the Sermon on the Plain is, is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Luke 6. And it's really interesting because the pinnacle of it is, the last verse in it is, so be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Elios. It's not be perfect, which is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's be Merciful. I believe compassion is true spiritual maturity. Not how disciplined and ordered my life is. Not how often I read my Bible. Not how well I know the principles. True maturity is compassion. Just as my father is compassionate. And it, it, it calls me up all the time. Because when I start to feel judgmental, just before that he says, don't judge. I realize, oh, I'm not following Jesus because he's always full of compassion. You guys still with me? Compassion is not pity. It's not feeling badly. And it's certainly not about guilt. This is the irony. Religion feels guilty, but it doesn't act. Compassion is compelled to act. Compelled to act. Compassion brings living hope to others. I was praying for that for somebody last night. Living hope. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3. 
Compassion brings living hope. You know, we, we were in the, the relocation camps in Haiti for quite a while. My wife was in the earthquake. Remember the big earthquake? 280,000 people killed in 38 seconds. She was in that while I was in Africa. And all communication was cut off, and that was a very hard few days for me. But we went back in. After that, we started going in lots. And we got into these relocation camps that were horrible. They were horrible. The poor are always in the worst places. Bottom of the hill, every time it rained. How many know it rains in Haiti? A lot. All the garbage and all the sewage comes down the hill and into the relocation camp. And I'm watching every day. They've they're got these tarps trying to keep them out of the sun, right? It's tropics. You know, it's like being up in Darwin or something. And they're under this, and, and I saw this woman, and she was just with us. She found a stick, and she's trying to dig a trench, and she's probably done it eight times that day so that all the filth and stuff doesn't go in. And I didn't know. I couldn't fix it. I helped her dig a little. I hugged on her. I prayed for her. I gave her my hat. She didn't have a hat. Compassion can't always fix everything, but compassion can always compel us. All right? I'm following the compassionate one very imperfectly, by the way, but I know where I'm going. I haven't got there yet, but I know where I'm going. So compassion and hope are linked. When we help women at risk, and we're doing it in more and more countries now, they always express two things. One, that they feel loved and accepted. Christina's working with a, a wonderful woman named Annabelle, and they're getting amazing things done. And again and again and again, the women are saying, we feel so loved. And the second thing is, we've got hope. Everyone's made for hope. Compassion brings Passion and fire and purpose. I promise you that. If you begin to catch hold of the compassion of Christ, the splank nozomai, a fire starts burning in you and you're not trying to stir yourself up to be passionate. It just happens. Okay? So the invitation, excuse me, the invitation to follow Jesus, the suffering, compassionate Jesus, is an invitation into a life of purpose, of fruitfulness, of partnership with him. It is an invitation into his greater story. That's why I said to you I'm like, last night, I said, I'm like Peter in John 6. He says, are you going to leave too? Where could I go? I'm hooked. I told you, I'm the crazy man who found a treasure in the field. Compassion will take you there. Let me talk a little bit about Jesus and the new community. The new community is probably my favorite little phrase for the church because it's completely new. It, if you study the early church, it was so countercultural, so countercultural. And if you come with me to some of the nations where the church is exploding, what hits you right away is, whoa, they don't do it like we do. Yeah. And this is, this is so countercultural. Jesus in the new community, it's an inclusive community. And in the new community, the poor are not projects, they're family. Now, I, every church we planted, I never let us meet Sundays until we were out ministering to the poor. Just wouldn't let it happen. We're not ready to be a church yet if we're not taking care of the poor. But in the beginning, okay, we're going to go out on Saturday. 
or in the beginning, one of my favorite things, especially as the church got big, I'd love to have 25 food hampers at the back under a table so they wouldn't know they were there. And we'd have the worship, and it'd be great. And I'd get up, and I'd say, hey, just before I preach, we got 25 food hampers. We're going to go to XYZ Housing Project. And they don't know we're coming, and we don't know which house we're going to go to, but we're going to connect with Jesus because he's there. And then I'll say, in a minute, in a moment, I'm going to count to three. And the first 25 people who come up here get to go do that instead of listen to me talk for the next 45 minutes. How's that for a motivator? And I'm not kidding. They would run. They would run. I say, oh, that's it, that's it. And off they'd go. But in the beginning, I admit, that's kind of a program. I'm trying to build a bridge. I told you twice this weekend. Discipleship is built on the bridge of friendship. They're not projects. They become our friends. And they become part of us. And they're enriched and we're enriched. So in the new community, they're part of the family. Acts 42 to 47 is a new kind of family. Again, I wrote a, a whole book on it this, you know, that just came out. It's a whole different kind of family. And we need family because otherwise we get overwhelmed by the needs. If it's just me, I, I, I overwhelm. But together, together, it's not overwhelming. Hmm. How do we live compassionate lives? How do we live compassionate lives? Well, I'm going to say just a few things. And I have much to say. If I had more time, I have much to say. I would talk for about an hour. I did it someplace somewhere in Australia last week for an hour just on this one point. How do we learn to live compassionate lives? But... But let me just say this much. We learn to live in the reality of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who themselves are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who themselves mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who themselves are merciful, they'll receive mercy. We live in the reality of the Beatitudes, of being poor in spirit, in a culture that is so affected by our secular culture around us, that so easy in the church, it becomes how you can have the most successful life, how you can keep it all together, how you can da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm following the one who's always on the side of the broken and the oppressed. I taught my sons years ago, and now I hear them teaching others. I say, if you're going to follow somebody, follow someone who walks with a limp. When I listen for prophecy, I always listen for the sound of tears in their voice. Because then I know they've been touched by the compassion of Christ. I know that's the journey that they're on. So how do we, how do we live this compassionate life? First, we, we live in the reality of the Beatitudes, and when we see the broken and the poor and the outcasts, we recognize they are a mirror of who we really are. They push us back to the grace of God. I love Hebrews 13, 9 says, Let your hearts be established by grace. 
his empowering presence. Grace says, I am always with you. And I am always for you. Not, I am with you and for you if you're doing well. You see, a gospel that says, if you do well, if you'll do this, God will do that, that's not good news. That's just conditional good news. The radical gospel is, he's always for you. On your worst day. He's always for you. He never scolded that woman down in the dirt, by the way. When he said, go and, and sin no more, what he was saying was, you're free, daughter. You don't have to sin anymore. You're free. That's the power of compassion. The power of compassion. Before I'm asked to show compassion toward the distressed and the downcast, first he asked me to accept his compassion in my life. This is why I need lots of time with Jesus. I was telling some people last week, the older I get, the more time I need with Christ every day. And it's not, it's not for anything other than I am more and more in touch, that I am poor in spirit, that I need mercy, that I'm broken. I need him more and more. And as I press into him, I become more and more aware of his compassion to me. Paul Tillich said that faith is the courage to accept his acceptance. See, we always want to temper it. Well, thank you, Lord, you accept me, but I'm going to do better. I think he just says, don't bother me with that stuff. You guys still with me? I need to learn to also be compassionate toward myself because you can only give away what you got. The rest is religion. We're faking it. And let me just say this. It's not in my notes, but let me just try to fumble my way through this. Philippians 2, 5 to 11. Have this attitude within yourself that was in Christ Jesus that although he existed in the form of God, he did not seek for equality, but he emptied himself. Kenosis. The cross is about emptying love. Frankly, the Trinity is about emptying love. Perichoresis, if anybody cares. You're getting a lot of $3 words today. But perichoresis means the divine dance or the dance of God. It is the dance within the Trinity that is completely other-focused and self-emptying. Father to Son, Holy Spirit to Father, Son to Holy Spirit. It's canonic love that always seeks the other. Canonic love, according to Paul in Philippians, that's what was happening on the cross. He completely emptied himself. The powers that be poured out all the hatred and all the attack of all time upon him. And all he felt was compassion. And they could never get him to turn from compassion to self-defense. 
from compassion to anger, from compassion to justification, they never could. And that is what the theologians call Christus victor. That is the victory of the cross. He never moved from compassion. Canonic love. Experiencing his compassion for me is all that will keep me walking in grace and not judgment. God is forming among us a new community. I'm watching some of that happen. My wildest dreams were never that God would give me a family that's all over the world. I look at some of my family members now and I, they love me dearly and I love them dearly and I never saw it coming because together we've determined to walk in compassion. Imperfectly, stumbling, fall down, get up, but we've determined canonic love. See, I think that the greatest revelation of the glory of God is on the cross. Isn't that interesting? As I often point out, I go to lots of churches and we sing about the lion of the tribe of Judah. Right? That's, that's from Revelation uh, 5. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Wonderful. He says, and I turned, ready to see a lion, and what did he see? A slain lamb. You getting this? It is so upside down. It is so counterintuitive. It is so countercultural. It is so counter to everything that goes off in us. Canonic love. The greatest glory of God. So I can't really live in compassion unless I am determined to follow the compassionate one who never fights back, who never accuses, who never says, well, enough's enough. And I can only give away what I receive, which is why it just presses me into him all the time, all the time, all the time. We're pretty hard on ourselves, and then we project that to others. And one of my favorite episodes, some of my friends have had to listen to me walk us through this many times, one of my favorite episodes is in John 21, which is kind of a coda, uh, an addition to John's gospel. And remember, Peter has, after saying, you can count on me, Jesus has denied Christ, and he leaves in shame and brokenness. Who's Jesus always with? The broken. But compassion means the courage to accept his acceptance. And he's failed so badly, and we've all read about it, and how he wept bitterly. And now it's some days after the resurrection. And in his pain, he thinks, I, I don't even know who I am anymore. I have failed so badly. I, I just, I, he, he's just ripped apart. So he says, I'm going fishing. 
So he goes fishing. He was trying to find the one place of security he could find. I'm a pretty good fisherman. I'm going fishing. And remember, it was a total bust. And he comes in. He thinks, I can't even fish anymore. Who am I? He feels so broken. And on the shore, there's Jesus. But he looks a little different. Have you ever noticed that? The resurrected Christ looks a little different again and again. Is it him? Isn't it him? Is he the gardener? Yeah. And he says, you catch anything? No. With an implied mind your own business. And he says, throw your nets in on the other side. And he does. And just like happened in Luke 5, there's this huge catch. 153 fish. And John says, it's the Lord. So Peter jumps in the water. They get into the shore. And Jesus has already prepared breakfast. There, there's a campfire. And he's preparing breakfast. And they're sitting there. And I want you to picture this, please. It's early morning. I think it's misty. It's a cool morning. They're sitting there. And they don't know what is it Jesus? Isn't it Jesus? I think so. I'm not sure. It's just like... Awkward moment. And Peter's sitting there. Now he's confronted. Now he's with the one he denied. And he's so full of shame and guilt. And as the meal progresses, Jesus says, Hey, Pete, let's go for a walk. And I think Peter is just going, Oh, no. And now he's with the one, and he's confronted with his own brokenness and his own failure. And imagine him walking along the side of the Sea of Galilee on the pebbles, just walking along. Peter's just starting to die. And Jesus says to him, hey, Pete, do you love me? Because Peter said, I love you, man. You can count on me, right? Before? Do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. Hey, take care of my lambs. Now we're walking and Peter's just feeling worse and worse. And after a little bit, Jesus stops and looks at him and says, Hey, Peter, do you love me? Oh, God, I love you. Take care of my sheep. And they walk a little further. And Jesus looks at him, and he uses a different word this time, phileo. But it's, it, it's, it's affectionate love. And he says, do you really love me? Oh, Lord, you know. Let me tell you what was happening. Jesus wasn't looking for information. He knew that Peter loved him. He's now broken. He's not so self-confident. He's not so sure. Jesus knew that Peter loved him. The problem was, Peter didn't know that Peter loved him. So Jesus was looking at Peter. Peter was looking at himself from his failure and his brokenness. But Jesus was looking at him 
from the other side of the cross. And he knew who Peter really was. And he knew all that Peter would do. Compassion is the courage to accept acceptance. Let's stand. For years and years and years, in different settings, I've shared that scene. And it never, ever ceases to just minister to me. Because I want to try harder. I want to do better. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom. Yeah. Holy Spirit, come to us right now, please. Just come and touch our hearts. Minister to us. Minister to us. He sees you from the other side of the cross. And when you just see your own failure and your own sin... He says, no, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. Song of Solomon 1.5, I am dark. And he says, no, you're lovely. As we walk in unconditional compassion, it starts to leak out of us, usually to our own surprise. As we walk in the direction of his unconditional forgiveness, we begin to be those who just live out of forgiveness. And sometimes go, where did that come from? The whole movement of the cosmos in every atom, every molecule of creation is the compassion of Christ. Let him come to you right now. Let him come. We hope you enjoyed listening to this message. For more information on what you've just heard or how to visit us, go to c3talgra.org.au. We hope to see you at church soon.